Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. I'm so thankful you're here. Welcome to the last part, part eight of From Brokenness to Blessing. If you've missed any of these, they're all available for you online on eastgate.church if you'd like to check those out. I've really enjoyed preaching this series. It's been a pleasure, but also a, a personal challenge wrestling through the Beatitudes of Christ Jesus, the, the way in which he has instructed us to be blessed is almost paradoxical at times, especially so as we reach the eighth one. And, and as we look at this one, I think it's very obvious why you would look at this and go, I don't, I don't see how that's a blessing. But nevertheless, I think understood rightly, we're going to get this this morning together. As we look at the eighth and final beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says these amazing words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Hmm. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He capstones the way he started. He says, blessed are those who are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he finishes with the same blessing, except with persecution instead. This word blessed is, is a strange word here in the text. It's this idea of like contentment, supreme happiness, like this kind of joy that goes beyond understanding, it surpasses Wisdom, if you will, earthly wisdom. And this one is especially so that we would be blessed in the midst of persecution. That's wild. Here's where we've been. Just so you know, we talked about the poor in spirit, that there's a blessing there. Blessed are those who mourn. That's wild that we release our grief to God. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart. Last week, those who make for peace, all blessed. And this week, He moves from peacemaking, and it makes a lot of sense when you start to see these as really a process, steps, if you will, towards a life in Christ, a blessed life in Christ, that he moves from peacemaking to persecution is kind of a a step that makes sense if you start to break it down. When you begin to be the kind of person that brings true peace, which is the peace of Christ, many will reject that. And that's, that's, I think, where he goes with this thought. Certain people refuse to make peace. Here's an interesting statistic. This is not so much a personal need maybe of you, but something to consider. You can pop up this map, if you will. Just so you know, more Christians nowadays in this very century have been martyred and have been displaced than any of the other centuries combined. Did you know that? That the 21st century is as dangerous, if not more dangerous for Christianity than ever before. Oftentimes, we don't realize this. These are those hot areas, if you will. They're all difficult. This is the top 50 countries, according to Christianity Today. And here's what the article, based on this map, had to say. It says, more than 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith last year. More than 2,100 churches were attacked or closed. More than 124,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes because of their faith. And almost 15,000 are now refugees. More than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. We don't know about this often, do we? It's not something that's really in our face very often. Just so you know, the persecuted is still a reality. Now, here's the thing. We have it easy in a sense here in America. And in a lot of ways, we don't face what you would call systemic persecution, 
We have laws that protect our freedoms. We have the freedom to be in a place like this this morning. All around the world, they do not have this freedom. We have the freedom to come and worship freely. We can speak about our, free, our faith freely in the workplace. Some people will, you know, give you a funny face. Some people might complain to uh, uh, their boss or whatever. But you have some freedom, some protections there. That's not to say we don't suffer anything. Many will face scorn or mockery, especially, I think, especially as our society, as our culture, seems to be proceeding deeper and deeper into what you might call paganism. That's kind of where we're heading as a nation. Have you ever suffered any persecution for your faith? I want you to get something right away. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the persecuted, period. Some of us have been persecuted because we did something dumb, because we did something ignorant, because we were just nasty or mean to someone. That's not persecution. That's called justice. Some of us, however, have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. That means we were trying to be peacemakers for Christ Jesus. Maybe it's happened in your family. Family members have rejected you. Maybe they don't trust the changes that you've made. Maybe you've come to Christ later in life and they don't believe you. They've seen who you were and they can't possibly imagine. They're waiting for old Jonathan to come back. Oh, just if we rattle him enough, we're going to see the old guy. And that's a certain kind of persecution, if you will. Maybe around friends, maybe around uh, parties and whatnot. You feel shunned or ridiculed. Or even worse, I would argue even worse, you're a 007 Christian. No one even knows. You're never persecuted because you never stand forward about anything. You're incognito mode. And that's not righteousness sake. Why might we do that? Well, fear, certainly. A desire to be approved. Maybe apathy. I just don't want to be involved. The truth is, every committed Christ follower will face persecution on some, some sense. It's inevitable where light and darkness intersect, there's a problem. And we don't have to be afraid. We can understand this blessing. What we're going to do this morning together is actually continue with Jesus' thought. Because this is the one blessing statement where he continues his thought. And so we're going we're gonna to be in Matthew chapter 5, finishing up this, this final beatitude. In Matthew's gospel, we see here Jesus taught his disciples how to be a blessing even when people persecute them. How to be a blessing. And that's how we're concluding this. We've been wrestling our grief. We've been wrestling with purity. We've been wrestling with a lot of things in this series. Now, what would it look like to be the blessing? That we move not just from brokenness to our personal blessedness, but a blessing to others. And this is where he's guiding his disciples now. I think the text will give us three really clear ways we can be a blessing, even when persecuted. So let's dig in. Just a few verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. Here's what we just read. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, hear this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. 
and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then immediately put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. This is fantastic. How to be a blessing even when we're being persecuted. The first one, the first instruction Jesus gives is baffling. And it's this, be glad. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad. Sign me up, right church? Sign me up. Oh, persecution's coming my way. Watch me put a smile on my face. You're like, that makes no sense, but I'll go ahead. Let's go on that ride together. Be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because we're fully identifying ourselves now with Jesus. There's only two imperatives right here in this front section. Rejoice and be glad. These are commands. When? When we suffer persecution. And what, for what? Because we're living a righteous life. Because we're talking about Jesus. This is what he says, on my account. You've been reviled on my behalf. Why be glad? Well, he gives us three reasons right away. Now, these aren't my points. These are subpoints, if you will. You can write them down on your margin if you like. How is it possible that I could be glad? He gives them right away in verse 12. He says, for one, the kingdom is yours. The reward is great, he says in verse 12. It's great in heaven. I I don't know entirely what he means by that. Perhaps it's those crowns that he will give and and then we'll get the opportunity to throw it at his feet. For me, it will be enough to simply hear him say, well done and good and faithful servant. That will be a great reward for me. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and I keep doing them. I've got areas of struggle in my life that I haven't overcome. I will be thankful to hear from the... The Father of lights from the King of heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. That will be a great reward for me. And not only that, he says, you will be in the fellowship of the prophets. Now, not everybody cares about these kinds of things, but maybe you should. Maybe it's good to care about something like this. You know, we all want to be in some kind of hall of fame. I want to be known as, I want, to, I want my kids to... Be uh, think I'm the greatest father or the greatest mother. I would like my wife to, when she talks to her friends, go, yeah, but my husband's the best. You know, those are kind of hollow. Or maybe you're in, into sports. You'd love to be known as, you know, and when I, in my day, I could throw a football over that mountain. You know, those kind of things. We want these, we want glory, if you will. But there's a greater glory. To be in the line of the, the disciples, of the apostles, of the prophets of old. Wow, give me that. Please give me that. What is that going to take? Understand something about the prophets of old who he's speaking about. These are people who came to speak to their very own people and they rejected them. Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah especially. Lord told Jeremiah, I want you to go talk to my people Israel and they are not going to listen. Well, thanks for that, God. I'm thankful every day. That's not the word he gave me. He called me to Rocky Mountain. It seemed pretty rough, but he never said they're not going to listen. Oh my goodness, I'd be thankful to hear, well done, you're in the line of the prophets. I want you to see something he's doing here in verse 10. He moves from what he's been saying all along, blessed are those who, 
Blessed are those who. This third person plural kind of language. Now in verse 11 here, he moves to blessed are you. And the tempo is changing. Blessed are you, why? When you're persecuted, when you're reviled on my account. And this is where he's now speaking to us. He's speaking certainly to his disciples. Who knows who he's pointing to there at the Sermon on the Mount as he's casting vision for his people. But now he begins to say, blessed are you standing here. Church, blessed are you. Receive this. When on the account of Christ Jesus you are reviled. Not because you're nasty. Not because you're you know, in some way giving this in a way that's, that's ignorant. Or, no, no, he's called you. Remember, he's called you to be pure and a peacemaker. But some people will hate that. Many people, in fact, might. He says, rejoice and be glad. The certainty of persecution for Christ followers is, is inevitable. <laughs> this is a warm and fuzzy message. How do I dodge this? I just can't. There's no dodging this message today. That if you're really living for Christ, your reward is great. That you'll be in the line of the prophets. That not only that, but the Spirit of God will be with you. Christ is walking with you. And the true in faith will come beside you. But you will face persecution in the workplace. When you try to stand up for righteousness, you will be reviled. If that wasn't true 20 years ago, it's so true now. It's just true Stand up for what is good and pure and right and according to Scripture and find out who hates you for that. There will be many. There will be a lot. He says, indeed, many will stand against you. Here's what Paul tells his disciple, Timothy. This is a good word. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Guaranteed. Jesus says the almost exact same thing in John chapter 15. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you. It would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So count the trials. Count this persecution as joy. You're not going to get blindsided by this. In fact, it may be better when you bring righteousness, when you bring the truth of Christ to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family members. We're heading into this holiday season where you start bumping into people you ain't seen in a while at Thanksgiving or at Christmas time. Go ahead on the drive. Some of you got long drives going, Lord, I know what Aunt Sally's going to be like this year. Help me to be a peacemaker. Help me to stand up for truth in a loving way. Help me to be salt and light. Truth in this place. Yeah, they may reject me, but I'm going to consider that rejoice. I'm going to, I'm going to consider that pure joy. This is what James writes in chapter 1. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing uh, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. Now, I've, I've mentioned this before. I, I spent some time in the Army for, I spent 10 years of my life in the, in the Army National Guard. And basic training, and you can fill in your blank. There's been a lot of things in your life, I imagine, that had some similar components to this. But basic training is really just terrible. 
Okay, just so you know. And it's purposefully terrible. The first month is especially terrible. Why? Because they're literally trying to make you into a, a, a machine of people. And they have to begin by breaking down individualism. It doesn't work in the army. Oh, but I've got a better idea. I want to take, I want to take my gun and run that way. No. You get in this formation, you do these things, because guess what? We are effective together. We can do great work together. So that first month is terrible, because what you find out is there's a lot of individuals in the world. And America breeds these kind of people. We're very individualistic. And guess what you can't do with drill sergeants? You can't do whatever you want. I didn't really test that, but guess what? There's knuckleheads in my platoon who did, and guess who gets punished? All of us. Hallelujah. It was just awful. It was awful. Couldn't sleep when I wanted to sleep. Couldn't go where I wanted to go. Had to work out when I didn't want to work out. Up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I don't want to be up at 4 a.m. Some of you do. God have mercy on you. I, I don't. The army made me do it. When people try to get me up early now, I will literally say only if the army's paying me. I'm not doing it. You want me up at midnight on your behalf? I'll be awake and thriving. So tough, so hard. Couldn't see my family. I was already married with a child when I went through. But you know what was crazy? There was a part of me, a really large part of me, that felt pride. That had a sense of, I'm doing something important. I'm doing something that matters. Yeah, this is horrible. We're having horrible together. In the army we say, embrace the suck. I know that... Hurts your ears. I'm sorry. <laughs> I realize after leaving that place, I have true friends, brothers in arms. That's what this thing does. And we, the only way we got there was to go through persecution together. That's the only way we reached that point. I knew I had true brothers in the cause. And I knew that something, this mattered. This was something important. That is just, I want you to understand, that is just a glimpse of what it's like to walk with Christ on this earth. Just a small taste that we are brothers and sisters in the faith, following him and, and facing similar challenges together. And guess what that does? It draws us close. We have a unique fellowship. This is why the believers all around the world right now, did you know the church is exploding in places like this? The fastest growing church in the world is in China, where it is heavily persecuted. Why? Because shared experience draws people, uniquely knits them together. We're missing a component of that here. Now, God, I'm not saying, hey, bring on persecution. That's not the intent of that message. However, we need to be aware that when we rightly follow Jesus, it should draw us close, and there will be those who will not be for us. And that's okay. Choose to rejoice and be glad. As you take on work tomorrow, some of you are going into some really wild places, some wild workplaces where nobody seems to walk with Christ. That's many of you. Rejoice and be glad knowing that he's planted you specifically in that place. If that's true of where you work, you're the light. You're the salt and light. And he didn't accidentally, you're not just going through life like some kind of river flow thing. No, he picked you up and he said, uh-huh, look at that mess. Bing. There's my light right there. Be that. And rejoice and be glad that God selected you for such a task. Here's the second way. 
He says, first, be glad. Now he says, be like salt. If you want, you could put be salty. Exhibiting the character of Jesus. This word salt is mentioned all throughout the Bible, both in reality and also in metaphors. Jesus here is using it as a metaphor. We're not literally salt, but he's, he's saying we're like this very valuable, this very precious thing. Now, what's wild is in modern times, we can have every kind of salt from every kind of place ever. We don't even realize how much luxury we live in. We can't even really fathom what that is, that I can go to the grocery store and get something called pink Himalayan salt. What? That I can go get kosher sea salt, sir. What is kosher sea salt? I have no idea what that means. Uh, I guess it was processed in a special factory. I don't know. We can get this all kinds of salts, and we don't understand that the world used to fight wars for salt. How amazing. That I can go down to Food Line, it's not even the nicest grocery store, and get pink salt. What? He says, you're the salt of the earth. Why? Because this thing, the body needs salt as much as it needs almost any other mineral. The, the, this, this, this resource is so amazing. Here's what's going on in Jesus' day. Let's put it in perspective for a moment. When he says you're salt, he's saying a couple of things. And I want you to hear this this morning. First of all, he's saying you are immensely valuable. You are so valuable to your friends and your family. You are a preservative. You are a seasoning. You are, you are worth something. Did you know that in Jesus' day, this word soldier, the Roman soldiers, they were partially paid in salt. It was, an, it was a good payment to get a bag of salt. Because they could trade it, they could use it. Salt was so valuable. In fact, the word soldier comes from sal deer, which means to give salt. I learned that this week. <laughs> I love learning new stuff like that. Maybe you're like, that's weird, Jonathan, but hey. The word salary is from salarium, which is also from the giving of salt. To give a salary literally means to give someone Salt, and we still have an expression just like this. That man is worth his salt. That means he's worth his salary. He's worth what he gets paid. This is what Jesus is speaking into. He's saying, you are like this to the earth, a scarce, expensive commodity, a legendary value. And without you, everything's pretty bland. Food's not very good without salt. Some of you under-season stuff. We're going to find out today when we eat together. <laughs> Make it salty, my friends. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. This is such a wonderful thing to hear. That his intent for us was that we would be representatives, as he puts in another place, uh, ambassadors of reconciliation. We're, we're the seasoning for this earth. <laughs> We're in, right, in, in the right representation of Christ. We're what makes it pure. We're what keeps it on track. We're what seasons it properly. But sometimes it can lose its saltiness. This is him reflecting on a, a, maybe a ceremonial aspect of salt. That if it, it was no longer good for sacrificial use, they would literally throw it out on the streets because it would get a second use. It kills weeds and stuff. Throw it out on the road. It'll keep the roads clean. 
Jesus is not here saying, hey, Christian, when you're not very effective, I'm literally going to throw you out. That's not the intent. Rather, if you become less useful, he's going to set you aside until you finally say, all right, my yes is back on the table. He's putting you on the side. And that, and it's a metaphor anyway, so how much does he really intend for us to take great value out of that? He's more reflecting on the idea that we are the seasoning. Paul, Paul equates grace-filled speech with salt seasoning. Look what he says to the Colossian church. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech be gracious. How? Seasoned with salt so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. That means, I know this is going to make some of you so frustrated. I like to just tell people the truth. Good, good. Can you put some seasoning on that? But I'm, getting, I'm always getting persecuted in the workplace. That's because you're the guy with the bullhorn yelling at people as they walk by. That's not salty. That's truth, but it ain't salty. I remember walking, and this is, this is going to tell you a lot. I used to double pop collar in college. I had two polos double popped. This is a hot mess, I know. One day I'm walking through, I'm walking through campus, double popped, pink shirt, bright pink. I'm making a statement, had an afro at the time. We were doing good things, all right? Bam, walking through. I weighed about 160 pounds too, so mega skinny. Marching through campus, got my little ear pods in. Just had got the, the little iPhone shuffle, the little one that you can like clip and stuff. I'm jamming. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing some, some kind of yelling. Hey, you in the pink shirt. I have no idea what he was saying. Hey, do stop living in sin as I'm walking through campus. I'm like, did he just say stop living in sin? That, like, that, that got me. I'm like... Okay, I agree. Like, what are we talking about? How do you know me? And so I come over to this guy. He starts yelling at everybody. He gets some people together and starts telling us he's ne- he hasn't sinned in 10 years, this guy. I'm like, dude, you just sinned. Like, <laughs> stop that. You've probably seen people like this. I don't know. I call them crazy bullhorn guys. They don't have to have a bullhorn, but they're always crazy bullhorn guys. Truth with no salt. If you get persecuted for that, Again, I think that's justice. But persecuted when you're seasoned with salt, when you're just trying to love people. Say, I just, I can't agree with what you're doing right now because it wouldn't be the truth. For me to lie and say I'm okay with it is not what's best for you. The the path that you're going down is not what's God's best for you. And the most loving response I can give you is to follow him and drop, drop the sin. Move on from that. Some people will persecute you for that kind of language. However, that's salty. The most loving thing I can do for you is to show you the truth with love. Seasoned with salt. Being salty, we bless those who persecute us. Look at what Paul writes to the Roman church. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now that's earth shattering for you. Some of you need to take that one home today. Just wrestle with just that verse and see what it might do in your life. That so much of what you wrestle with and dwell on, the stuff that keeps you up at night is the people who have offended you, who have who you know you were right and they were wrong and they have hurt you. And you wrestle with it and you get bitter about it rather than just say, here you go God, I'm handing that to you. Help me to bless them instead of curse them because right now I want to punch them. Right now, I want to fight them. Instead, though, I'll lay that down here. 
And watch how God can really heal your soul in that when you begin to say, all right, I'm just going to speak good. I'm going to speak I'm going to speak blessings rather than curses to this person. When they call me and ream me out, if it's a boss or a coworker, instead of curses, blessings. People have a hard time with that. Try that out. See if people are like, huh? I'm cussing you out right now. Stop it. They don't know what to do with it. Bless rather than curse. Bless rather than curse. Salt is such a wonderful picture of our public faith. Some of us are living life under-seasoned. Incognito Christians, if you were. No one would even know that we're salty. Because we're going about the pace of life, just dodging every conversation, going, oh, I don't want to fall in that trap. Oh, I don't want to step on that. I just want you to understand something. You're not protecting anyone. You're certainly not protecting yourself. And the most loving thing you can do for people is not to avoid them, but to speak to them in love. I heard recently, this was, I can't remember who this is, it was, it was some celebrity talking, he's, an, he's a known atheist, and he was talking about this idea that he's baffled by the Christians who don't tell him about the gospel. This is a fascinating thing to me. He says, you know, if I truly believed that without this Jesus, or with however he puts it, without this gospel, I would die and go to hell, I, that, you, how bad do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about that? That's how he put it. You would have to really, truly hate somebody for, for you to avoid the conversation and just say, go on to hell. That's tough. I appreciate his way of thinking of it. Now, he didn't believe. He hasn't come to faith in, but he's right about that. And you haven't considered it that way. I understand that. It's not that you hate people, but understand you don't love them either by that approach. The under-seasoned. That's the kind of thing that God looks at that and says... Come hang out with me for a minute. We need to pour some. You need a couple of teaspoons, a couple of tablespoons on this dish. He's going to take maybe a massive handful. You're under-seasoned and others of us are those bitter bullhorn Christians way over-seasoned. You can't even eat that. You ever done that trick to one of your friends where you just lightly unscrew the thing? And you're like, and he just pours the whole thing of salt on his dish. You can't eat that. It would just, just annihilate you to try to chew that. Some of us are living that way. What does it look like to be salty? Seasoning of graces in view, loving speech. Here's the third way. Be like light. Be light, revealing the message of Jesus. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Another metaphor, salt saves, light enlightens, if you will. Salt preserves, light proclaims. You will be persecuted for both of these things. Light of the world, you're going to stand out is what he's talking about. This is the illustration he gives. You're like a city on a hill. Often, this is how Jerusalem is described. as It's on a hill, and it's Zion up on a hill, and it's... Often people want to raid it, but they can't because it's up high and they can see it from long ways off with its light shining. He's saying, you're like Jerusalem. You're like a city on a hill. And you can't miss it. You can't miss it. You'll see it for miles and miles because it's above and it's making the light shine. No one ever lights their, their light and then immediately puts it under a basket. We used to sing a song about this in children's church. Something about a bushel basket? What is this? 
This little light of mine. Yes, that's the one. It's like, what, what is that? I, I need to put stuff like that in my notes so I don't forget my children's songs. Don't put it under a bushel basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah, it's coming to me now. <laughs> let your light shine so that others may see it and do what? Verse 16 says, when they see it, they'll give glory to the Father. You're not shining your own light, but the light on Christ. You're literally little, little reflections, pointing people to him. That's what he's speaking to here. Be light in dark places. Don't be fearful or troubled to shine your light for Jesus. Here's what Peter writes, 1 Peter 3. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter puts it so plainly there. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have. Is it obvious to others that you have hope? That begs this question. Is it obvious to others that you are a light in a dark place? Would other people, if I could go into your workplace and say, Hey, the such and such... Is there something different about them? Do they have a hope that makes no sense? Do they seem like they're more positive, a light in a dark place? I don't know. What would others say about you? Well, maybe, maybe you're feeling like it depends on the day, and that might be very well true. But overall, do people see a light shining in a dark place? As the body of Christ, we too are to be this light. This is what, what Jesus says in John 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you walk with Christ, you shine his light. You become obvious. This reminded me this week of, of something kind of scientific, if you will. We all know this, though. We learned this at a very pretty early age, and that is we see this thing at night, and your children may ask you about this and go, How, you know, what is that, and why is that shining? And If you didn't know anything, you would just say that the moon is like another star or something in the sky. You would look at it and assume this is like a, a much uh, lighter sun. I can look straight into that thing, and it doesn't burn my eyes. I can't look into that sun very long. That thing hurts. But I can look at the moon and study it and see that old man up there sleeping in the moon. This amazing thing. This is like one of God's many pictures that I think he makes for preachers like me. So it's the sun, the reason that the moon shines is all because of the sun. This is why at times we can't see it because it's hiding behind the earth or something else. And the sun is what makes the moon emit light. And it's so, this is the exact representation of who we are in Christ. In fact, even the sun still works. That the Son of God, Christ, is the light. He says, and now, when you follow me, you will have that light of life in you. So now I'm like, I'm like his little one. I'm like this little rock in the sky that only makes light because of him. The only reason I get to shine is because of this Jesus. What a wonderful picture of who we are. Do you have hope? How do you get it? Are you spending time with the light? 
Are you spending time with him in his word and prayer? Do you have a constant conversation with the, the heavenly father? Are you one of his kids? And you're like the moon, shining bright, his light. Will you give glory to Jesus and everything reflect his light? Will you be salty? We've been speaking for several weeks and we're concluding this now. I recognize that some of you in the room are really maybe stuck in some area. We've talked repetitively about hurts and habits and hang-ups and things that you're stuck on. And maybe this one is so far-fetched for you right now that you would possibly be a blessing on the other side of this. That you could see even the way people persecute you as blessing. If this is an area you really desire to grow and overcome maybe some area of hurt or habit, we have this thing in Wilson every Thursday night called Celebrate Recovery. We're finishing our series this week. We've gone through really the basis of Celebrate Recovery, just so you know, are the Beatitudes. That's why we've been going through them together. Kind of a building block for this ministry. And the word recovery is an acronym for them. R is realize I am not God. This is a reality step. I've got a problem and I need help. E is earnestly believe that God exists. This is the hope step. I know that God is the answer. C is consciously choose to commit. Now I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm going to do as he pleases, not my own. O is openly examine and confess my faults. I cast my sin, my shame, all of that. I'm putting it on the Savior. V is voluntarily now submit to make changes by God's power. I'm asking God to transform my character now. E is I'm evaluating my relationships. Reconciliation is in view here. God, I'm reconciling both to God and to others. Last week we spoke of reserving a daily time for God. This maintenance kind of step, learning to depend on his word. And then this week, I yield myself to be used by God to help others. That I'm going to start taking my story and let it be a blessing to others. My pain, which someone may have meant for evil, I will now use for good. God meant it for good. Whatever it is I've been wrestling with, struggling with, I yield to that and bless others in word and deed. Will you decide to be a blessing to those who persecute you? being glad, rejoicing, being salty, and being light. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do a mighty work in us, that we would rightly understand this last blessing. So often, we have to admit, God, we really avoid conflict. We really avoid any possibility of persecution. And that's not an abnormal, Lord. You... You created us, you know, to fight or flight or to run from certain situations. It's not that we're broken necessarily, but oftentimes we don't know when we should stand up for righteousness' sake. Sometimes we go too far with that. Other times we're too fearful to be reviled on your account. We don't want that. That's understandably so, Lord. I, I pray that you would instruct us. First of all, give us boldness. As we see friends and family this week, as we interact with coworkers this week, would you do one thing first? Open up our ears to hear. Now, so often we're incognito Christians. We're not very well seasoned, partially because we're just going through life and not paying any attention. God, would you open up our ears to hear? Give us clear minds that we might observe others who are in desperate need for a Savior. Those very people that 
it would seem, God, you put us right in that place that we would be a witness to them, that we would be peacemakers in that place. God, open up our eyes and our ears to see that. And God, more than that, give us the right words that our, our conversation would be seasoned with salt. It would be loving. It would be gracious. It would be merciful. That if any persecution comes our way, it would not be because of our ignorance, because of our anger, because of some frustration. No, Lord, I pray you would remove that from us, that our conversations with others would be filled with mercy and grace but also reflecting truth. God, help us to be salt and light. I'm praying for those people right in this room, myself included, right wherever you've put us. We find ourselves in the workplace this week, at home this week, in some grocery store this week. Help us to remember, all right, I'm salt and light. I'm salt and light. I'm not in a hurry. Help me to be your vessel in this place. Speak through me. God, do that in us. We ask now, Lord, that we would understand this. And God, you commanded us to rejoice and be glad. I pray that you would show up in a mighty way in the moments where we feel under attack, in those moments where we are indeed persecuted for righteousness' sake. God, I pray that you would minister to us, you would comfort us, that we would know we're walking with you, and that gives us, that gives us hope for each and every one of us in the room, Lord, that you would guide us towards a place where one day we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.